24-7, please. Is Daddy in trouble? Yes, Pete. Shall I pray for him? Yes, Jenny, pray very hard. Me too? You too, Tommy. got quiet in here. That's a powerful moment, isn't it? In that scene in the movie. If you've seen the movie, you know that that's the moment where everything just is at the worst for George Bailey. It gets just slightly worse, I suppose. That's about as low as it goes for him. And, and I want to start with the first question this morning, which is, how do we lose hope? How does a person lose hope? Because that's what's happened at this point. George Bailey... If you're familiar with um, how things have gone, he's had a, a pretty hopeful, bright future. He's always kind of had some uh, limitations that have kind of held him back a little bit. But in general, he's, he's been optimistic. He's got the Bailey savings and loan. He's got the family that's growing, even the old drafty house that you see is falling apart that his wife loves and he can't stand it. Um, things are, are working pretty well. He's had to play second fiddle to some people and watch some people succeed, but life is okay. But then by this point in the movie, he's lost hope. And I would suggest if you look at the George Bailey formula of how you lose hope, and you see it evidenced in the scene very well, um, it's how anybody could lose hope. That is, first you lose perspective on what matters, and there could be various reasons why, but you start to lose that perspective, and that leads to a loss of purpose. Why am I even here? Why am I even doing this? Why, what's the meaning of any of this? And he's lost that by this point. And sometimes we can lose hope, and let me just give a simple definition that we'll refine a little bit in a moment. Hope is simply the belief that there's something better tomorrow when you get down to it. Sometimes we can lose hope for a season. It's just a temporary thing. We all go through those moments where we, we lose perspective, perhaps, for a while on, on what matters and what doesn't. We, we kind of misproportion things in our lives. Sometimes uh, it can happen literally for a season, seasonal depression or something like that. We go through hard, hard moments at work or in family life. Other times we have a more perpetual sense of a loss of hope. It just seems like there's just no end. And we can't get out of the rut. Either way, if it's seasonal and, it's, and we know it's going to go away, or if it's perpetual and it feels like it's never going to go away, it's frustrating. Absolutely frustrating to lose hope. Now over the next uh, weeks of Advent, the four weeks of Advent, we're going to be doing more of this Christmas at the movies. We're looking at some of the favorites that we watch uh, at Christmas time. Don't worry, I have a hopeful clip coming up in a moment because I know that was a hopeless clip. Um, but these are the ones we love. These are the ones we enjoy year after year. But some of these movies point to a bigger truth, whether they meant to or not. They point to hope and peace, joy and love. Some of them even point to the purpose of the whole season, the birth of not just a child, but the child. And the hope that that brings. We heard the consolation of Israel. But I want you to notice something as we go through these four weeks of Advent, uh, that this is one of those things where it would be easy to invite someone to join us. It's a pretty simple sell to say, why don't you come to church with me and we'll watch a movie. And we have little invitation cards that you can take with you that, that have not just 
what's happening on Sunday, but uh, carols and cookies. Um, and also, I do want to point out on the 22nd of December, spontaneous nativity with kids and adults will be involved. It'll be fun. But invite people. Have them join us. This is one of the most evangelistic times of the year when it comes to inviting people to church because people will more readily accept an invitation to join us at church functions. Now, let's turn to the text. And let's look at Simeon. We're going to look at Anna a little bit. We're going to look at Hope this morning. So we're looking at Luke 2. And I'd invite you to follow along. If you're using one of the Orange Pew Bibles, it's on page 959. And if you don't have a physical Bible, take that Pew Bible with you. This morning, it's our gift to you. I know we can access Bibles electronically all over the place, but there's nothing that's, that's quite the same as having a physical Bible. So if you need one, take it this morning. 959 if you're following there. Luke 2, so let, let's start at verse 25 and just read that again. And then we're going to go to a verse we didn't read yet to get introduced to these characters. 25 says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And then we get introduced to Anna a little bit later in verses 36. We're going to see verse 37. It tells us she's a prophet, and it tells us what tribe she's from, and she lived uh, with her husband for seven years. And then in verse 37 it says, And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped uh, worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Now, in this story, we're going to focus a little bit more on Simeon because we get more detail, but Anna is very important to what we're, we're looking at this morning, too, when it comes to hope. She comes in as well. But I want if you look at the specific words applied to Simeon in verse 25, it says, there's this man in Jerusalem, he was righteous and devout. To be righteous is really ultimately to be right with God. It's, it's inside and out. There's full integrity of character and who you are with who God is. There's a holiness, if you will, about who you are. But the devout part is, I think, something that we can work with this morning as, as a way to enter into how do we gain hope and how do we hold on to hope. Because the specific word that's there in the original Greek is this word eulabes, which comes from two words put together, you, which means good, and lambana, which means to take hold of. And the only reason I give you that is because I think it's a powerful image. If you have devotion or if you're devout, you're taking hold of that which is good. That's what you are. That's a great image, isn't it? If somebody talks about devotion, that's what you're doing. And if you actually switch the word order, I think you get a, a direction on how one leads to the other thing here. Now, they're just describing, uh, Luke is just describing uh, Simeon, that's why he gives those words that way. But if you look at devotion to take hold of that which is good, with the right circumstances, that should lead to righteousness. If we've taken hold of that which is good, then there should be a transformation that occurs because we continually take hold of that which is good, that is, godliness and all the things of God, then there should be an, uh, a change in who we are from the inside out. We should be made holy in the process. It can go wrong, as we see with some of the Pharisees. They were devoted, but they didn't develop righteousness all the time. So it needs to be done well and correctly. But I want to look at the evidence of Simeon's life, and then I want to, I want to apply this to how we can sort of take steps to make sure that we either regain hope if we lost it or bless others with hope if we have it. 
That's where I want to go this morning. So I'll ask the question, what do devotion and righteousness produce? We can look at Simeon specifically, and we can see a couple of things. In verse, verse 25, when it says he's described as righteous and devout, part of what's being stated there is this is a man of integrity that people are going to respect. Now, it may be that we could be people who are righteous and devout, and we live in a culture where maybe we might not get as much respect for the specific beliefs we have, but I may point out that somebody who has a conviction inside and out generally is at least respected for having solid beliefs that are true. They're not a hypocrite. They believe it, they act on it. And that's what you can see. There's a level of respect then as an elder or an elder statesman that Simeon would have because through his core, he believes it and he does it. And you can see the same exact thing with Anna. To her core, she believes it and she does practices what she believes. The next thing I want to notice is, is if we ask the question of what do devotion and righteousness produce, if you look at verse 26, I think you see something very important. It says, in 25, it told us that the Holy Spirit was on him. In 26, it says, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Simeon actually had the ability to hear what God was saying. The Holy Spirit was talking to Simeon. God was speaking to Simeon. And that's not simply because he did the right things, but because he was right with God because of those things. He, he had clear communication because he was clearing the way so God could speak and he could receive the message. That communion with God uh, will give us what God has revealed, and it can, it's a key to having hope. Then if we look at Simeon's own words when he actually speaks, if you go to verse 30, when he finally uh, is, is able to say what he's thinking, it says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Really simply, he knew what the hope was. Because he held on to the promises of God, he recognized what God was going to do. So if you know God's promises, you patiently and purposefully wait until they are fulfilled. That's how you live in hope. That's what we see Simeon and Anna both doing. They patiently and purposefully wait until the hope is fulfilled because they know what the hope is. He states it. He kind of jams together a whole lot of the message of the prophets there in his statement. The consolation of Israel. The, the light for the Gentiles as well as the glory of the people of Israel. And here you see a clear connection between devotion, righteousness, and hope. Because he held on to the promises, because he followed through, because he was transformed by those promises, he could see what God was doing and see it clearly. Secondly, you can see a definition of what hope means, not simply that tomorrow is going to be better, but tomorrow is God's better tomorrow. For what God has promised, that's what hope actually is. That salvation is for all people. He can see that and he, he reflects that through the one servant, rescue for everybody, salvation for all, and glory to God. He defines what the hope actually is in his blessing there. The fourth thing I would say about uh, what devotion and righteousness produce that we can see in Simeon particularly here, if you go to verse 29, 
I think this is one of the most interesting verses in this whole part. This is a verse of humility. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. If you know what God promises, if you know the hope that we're supposed to have of what God's tomorrow is, then you'll know how to respond when God acts. And Simeon does. Okay, God, I saw what you've promised. There was no guarantee he was going to see that, except that he reflects, okay, God had told me through the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't have known that except whatever point in life that happened. Before that, he was just faithful because he was faithful, and that's what you're supposed to be. But the Spirit told him, okay, you're going to see this. Now he says, okay, now I've seen it. I can back up. I can back out of this, God. For both Anna and Simeon, I want to point out, there is no FOMO with them. There's no fear of missing out. They faithfully did what they're supposed to do, holding on to that which is good, having that righteousness developed in them. Why? Because it was right. Because that's what God had called them to do and who God had called them to be. And when God finally comes through and acts and says, you're going to see this, then they know how to respond. Their first response is praise and thanks. And secondly, their next response is to point towards God's work and not towards their role in God's work. They knew their hope. So we asked the question earlier, how do you lose hope? We looked at the George Bailey formula of how you could lose hope. You lose perspective, and then you, uh, you generally lose your sense of purpose. That can happen to us. Let's look at a more hopeful moment from uh, the life of George Bailey, where he's uh, had all of the moments with Clarence, one of the great characters in a movie ever, Clarence, the angel second class, that comes and uh, gives George a taste of the world without George Bailey. And, and that's a dark moment in the movie where he realizes, uh, he gets the, his wish granted, what would the world look like without me? And now in this scene, you see he's come back. Where he wasn't recognized before, now he is recognized, and now you see this hope come back. So let's roll a clip. Get me, Clarence! Get me back! Get me back! I don't care what happens to me! Get me back to my wife and kids! Help me, Clarence, please! Please! I want to live again! I want to live again! I want to live again! Please, God, let me live again! <laughs> Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now, get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George? Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Bert! My mouth's bleeding! Zoo those pedals! Zoo There they are! Bert! What do you know about that? Merry Christmas! 
street yelling Merry Christmas to everybody. It's a wonderful, the whole last scene in the movie is great. Has, has anybody not seen it? If you haven't seen it, go home. I know my wife, it's on our to-do list this week. Watch it. The last scene, it's just a great movie. Anyways, let's talk about reclaiming hope. So we see that George gets his hope back. He, he sees life without himself, and then he gets it back. But when we look back at our, our text here, and we think about how do we reclaim hope? How do we gain it if we've lost it? And how do we share it if we have it? Let me start with just uh, each of the categories I kind of gave. You can have a seasonal slump, a perpetual uh, slump in hope, or you can have a whole lot of hope. And if you are in a, a moment right now where you feel hopeless, but you know that there's light at the end of the tunnel, but you feel hopeless, let me encourage you as we enter this Advent season to do something devotional. To do something where you actually hold on to that which is godly and good that points back to Christ. So not simply something that points back to making me a better me, but that points to Christ and what Christmas is actually about as we lead to that. And for some of us, it might be easy to start with tradition because there's a whole big portion of tradition that's served up at this time of year. And for some of us, we need to do something new. It doesn't really matter which one of those you pick. If you go with tradition, um, if you go with tradition, don't just go for tradition for the sake of tradition, but try and find the deeper meaning in whatever tradition you grab onto this season. And try and be lifted up by that and, and towards what our hope actually is. We left out of the story so far. We talked about Simeon and Anna. We didn't talk about two other key players in this which are Mary and Joseph in this story that we just read this morning. They're the ones who actually go to Jerusalem with the baby, and they run into Simeon and Anna, not intentionally going there. Joseph and Mary are devout in their action as well, just doing a normal routine thing they're supposed to do. Mary was coming, it says, to sacrifice the two doves or two pigeons that the poor person's offering, in her case, as purification after childbirth of a male son in this case. They came to do that as a ritual part of what they're supposed to do, devotion. And yet God does much more in that simple act of devotion when they come to the temple. God, there's new meaning given to a basic action. And that's what I'm suggesting. If you're feeling a little bit hopeless, gain some perspective by latching on to something maybe you already know or you've already done, but make sure you see the meaning so that God can meet you there and lift you up further and take you farther that action. Maybe it's something where you need to engage in personal Bible study because you don't. Maybe you need to engage in Bible study with other people because you only do it personally or you don't do it at all. Or you don't know how. Maybe you need to make sure you're more consistent in going to worship services or go to more of them than you normally would or new ones. Maybe you need to serve. Whatever it is, do something that will allow you to gain perspective on the hope that we actually have in God's promises. If you find in this season that you are in a more perpetual state of hopelessness, I would probably put it in the category of grief, probably for a lot of people who find themselves there. I would suggest to make sure that if you don't already have people who can walk with you and point you towards hope, that you find those people. Maybe you have them, maybe you need to find some more, but make sure you have those people who can walk with you, especially at this time of year, and point you towards the hope that we have. That doesn't ignore grief, but it's somebody who walks with you in that grief. George Bailey, uh, he had a wonderful moment when Clarence does grant him the wish of what happens if the world didn't exist without me, and he sees that that wouldn't have been a good solution to his problems. 
that's the same for all of us. The world needs all of us. We're, we're, we're here because God created us. It's important. The world would be different and unfortunate to lose us, not because we're that amazing, but because God created us with purpose and intention, and God cares. We can find purpose and hope, and I want to point, particularly if you find yourself in a perpetual state of hopelessness or even grief in this season, look at the story of Anna, because I think hers is a very powerful uh, testament to how to work with grief. If we go back to verse 36, it won't be on the screen, but it talks about Anna. She's a prophet, the daughter of Penuel. It says in verse 36, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. So she had 91 years of service, as I calculate, in service to the Lord as a prophet and serving in the temple. 84 of those years, she was alone as a widow. She only got seven years with her husband, 84 years as a widow. She lived in grief doing her ministry for those 84 years, but she still did her ministry. You see, there's tomorrow after loss that doesn't minimize the loss, but it does suggest that, that the life might be different after that. There's still hope in that grief. There's still a better tomorrow that God has because for those who are in Jesus Christ, that loss is only temporary. Find others who can help you point to your purpose again if you've lost hope. Thirdly, if you have hope and you're saying, okay, I don't feel like I'm in a slump, I don't feel like I'm in perpetual grief, I have hope. My guess is you probably have hope to spare. So take a lesson from Anna and Simeon here. Bless others with it. There are other people who need us to share that hope. Anna and Simeon, the text tells us, were both very old. I didn't say it. The text said that they were both very old. Do you notice they didn't retire from ministry? They kept doing what God had gifted them to do, and they kept doing it. When Mary and Joseph come to them to do something uh, as a young family, as an act of devotion, Anna and Simeon are there and not only able to bless them, but able to elevate the experience for them and bless and give them that hope. Now I've seen the consolation of Israel. What was a normal routine thing? Simeon can now say something bigger is going on here, Mary and Joseph. Can you see it? Simeon and Anna have blessing to give because they have hope. A lot of us have blessing to give because we have hope. If you have that hope, and if you have that blessing to give, then be the person who walks with those who are a little hope, hopeless right now. Be, with those, be one of those people who invites those to come and find hope this season. Study together, pray together, serve together, invite someone here this season so that they can be blessed with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Maybe for the first time ever. If you have that hope, bless others with it. At this time, I'm going to invite Pastor Kath to come up and join me at the table, and we are going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. The Gospel tells us that on the, night, on the first day of the week, the day our Lord rose from the dead, he appeared to some of his disciples and was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. 
It is true for us as well. Christ is made known to us as we break this bread and drink this cup together. I'm going to invite us all into a time of silent prayer right now where we can come before the Lord in a state of confession that we can be forgiven of any sin that needs to be forgiven and then we can read some words of assurance and belief in just a moment. So let's go to the Lord in silence right now. I'll prompt us for a couple things to lift up to the Lord. Lord, where we have sinned and we know we purposefully exhibited pride and did the opposite of what you want us to do, Lord, we confess those sins right now. Lord, where we have transgressed and we have been rude or short or in some way looked at someone else created in your image and said, you're less than me with our words. Lord, we lift those up to you for forgiveness. Lord, where we simply missed up, messed up and missed the mark. We didn't mean to. We were trying to do right. But we did wrong. Lord, we take those moments and lift them up to you. Lord, forgive us even from those things that we didn't realize were wrong. those sins of omission that we we didn't even know we were doing, God, but we know that we sometimes are complicit in things that dishonor you in far too many ways. Lord, forgive us. Give us hope. Grant us the grace to make us holy as you are holy. Pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus.